This is an RNZ podcast. At 1pm last Thursday, media company NZME announced the audience for its talk station News Talk ZB and its main music network ZM had grown to unprecedented levels, according to the latest official audience research. And at exactly the same time, rival radio company MediaWorks said that it now had its highest ever audience share. 2.5 million people were tuning in nationwide every week to its networks. That's impressive and intimidating for rivals. And the following day, RNZ recorded a further slide in its listenership, the third fall in a row in these quarterly results, though engagement with its website and its digital offerings was way up. But it seems the commercial broadcasters are pretty worried about publicly owned public service RNZ because it does have a goal of reaching more and younger people. RNZ has a charter to govern its output that's enshrined in the law, the Radio New Zealand Amendment Act 2016 to be precise. That says that RNZ's charter should also be reviewed every five years by Parliament and that last review changed the mandate to use all means of distribution, reflecting RNZ's increasing digital and online efforts. Now that charter was due for review last April... But back then, the Broadcasting Minister Chris Farfoy tried to put the review on hold because he'd just appointed a group of people to draft a brand new charter for a brand new public media entity, the main plank of his government's strong public media programme. However, reviewing RNZ's charter is up to Parliament, not the Minister or RNZ, and Parliament's Economic Development, Science and Innovation Select Committee subsequently announced an inquiry into RNZ's charter review. Now, back then, the committee's chair, Labour MP Jamie Strange, told Media Watch why. Across the committee we've got, we're Labour and National. We decided that it was the right thing to do to open the inquiry into the review so that people could specifically focus on Radio New Zealand. And like that piece of work, you know, the report that we write will no doubt feed into the work that the minister is doing and give people the opportunity to make submissions. To that end, the committee's inquiry posed these questions. Does RNZ currently provide reliable, independent and freely accessible information? Does RNZ's programming effectively reflect New Zealand's ethnic, cultural and artistic diversity? And is RNZ using all its platforms and modes of delivery effectively? And also, is RNZ effectively accounting for different age group audiences, as specified in its charter, given RNZ's current focus on increasing youth listenership? Now, last year, RNZ's ill-fated plan for a new service for younger people caused a major controversy, which even pulled in the Prime Minister, because RNZ Concert would be taken off its FM frequencies to accommodate it in their plan. And when submissions to the RNZ Charter Review were published by Parliament last month, that featured in many of them. Some people wanted more classical music broadcasting written into a new RNZ Charter. Some pleaded for better news, better presentation and pronunciation standards. And a couple even asked for less tareo on RNZ's output. The next step in the Charter review was a series of hearings in front of the committee. Sadly, all of them conducted remotely via the internet, with all the tech hiccups that entails. During the day. This, is a recording. this is a recording from a previous submitter, But in another hearing earlier this month, the message from the group representing the commercial radio industry was loud and clear. RNZ might be straying out of its lane and into theirs. The government doesn't fund supermarkets. It doesn't fund petrol stations. It doesn't usually get into funding organisations unless there is a real public need. And we do see that there is, and we do see that the Charter outlines a lot of media content opportunities that Radio New Zealand needs to be producing that we couldn't. But what we're seeing is it's very easy to want to grow bigger 
and to probably behave in more commercial ways, then we would see that a public broadcaster should. That was Jaina Ranguni, the Chief Executive of the Radio Broadcasters Association, which represents the mutual interests of the commercial radio broadcasters. Now, she also told MPs on the committee they hadn't forgotten about an RNZ ad campaign last year, talking up its own output and, in their eyes, putting down the work of commercial radio. And Jaina Ranguni told the committee chair that RNZ's doomed effort to launch a network targeting young people, especially in Auckland, was an attack. And those billboards obviously paid for by public finance as well, by um, taxpayers' money. Which is why we are doubly (laughs) irritated by it. Yeah. Are there many more examples of that, or is that a little bit isolated? I think that's probably the most graphic example in the marketplace. Mm, Yeah. You know, the whole conversation around the Youth Radio Network last year, which obviously didn't go ahead because of what happened with COVID, you know, what had happened with concert, with the plan, we saw us a huge attack on, you know, potentially what commercial radio produces. The current chair of the Radio Broadcasters Association is Cam Wallace, who's the chief executive of MediaWorks, and he told the committee they wanted a charter to ring-fence RNZ scope and enforce the boundaries. Yep, it's great having a charter. Broadly, we support the charter, but what we support more is an active management of the charter and making sure that it's being followed. And when that was put to RNZ's chief executive at last Thursday's final hearing, Paul Thompson replied like this. It's, I think it's a question of choice, and it's not um, that we want to crowd anyone else out. But we well, that's think, what they seem to think yeah. that you are doing. Well, of course they're going to say that. That's a consistent piece of feedback that they will give. But what we do is quite different. And that was also the consistent message in the Radio Broadcasters Association's written submission to RNZ's Charter Review. RNZ was trying to grow its audience with the encouragement of the government and at the expense of their business. And attached to it was a 10-page lawyer's letter dating back to March 2020 at the height of the RNZ concert New Youth Network controversy, which claimed that RNZ and its management is not actually acting in regard of its own charter and to the detriment of the wider radio industry. So this week, I asked the Radio Broadcasters Association Chief Executive Jaina Ranguni if her members are pulling in record-breaking radio audiences right now. What's the problem with RNZ? We don't compete with Radio New Zealand for revenue, obviously, because Radio New Zealand is commercial-free. But the reality for us is at the moment is Google and Facebook have changed the landscape. And if we lose audience to anybody, we lose revenue pretty much to those two competitors because they take about, I think there's 1.2, just over 1.2 billion now goes in the digital advertising market in New Zealand and Google and Facebook take the lion's share of that. So we're small in comparison and anything that impacts our revenue has huge impacts. So that's probably why we're, you know, super sensitive, um, perhaps in ways that we weren't 10 years ago. Yeah, so all commercial media companies have these mega trends and these prevailing conditions uh, in this current digital media environment that everybody's operating in. But what actually is the content that RNZ's doing or that you think they might be planning that's a worry? I think what's concerning us most is the focus of many stakeholders in recent times that are judging Radio New Zealand's performance on audience growth, probably ahead of or on par with charter delivery. And the majority of what RNZ do could not be produced by the commercial sector. It's time and resource intensive. And in many instances, it just wouldn't be commercially viable to produce. But certainly, um, looking ahead to the future, there seem to be more areas of concern. 
Um, and things like the Triple J Youth Radio Project was a really clear example for, of this. Yeah, but that, we, that, we know that's now not that. happening, though, Jana, is it? I mean, that's uh, because of the political controversy surrounding it um, that, in a sense, is is stalled. It's going to be a kind of online-only project which will be launched shortly. So your your fear, I guess, or the fear of your members was that suddenly RNZ would be broadcasting, uh, you know, popular or popular-ish music to younger people, uh, and you don't want them in that market, right? But look, in terms of... Uh, news, for example, I mean, between the breakfast hours, six to nine o'clock, there's morning report on publicly funded non-commercial RNZ. People have a choice. They can go to Magic Talk on MediaWorks and, and hear the AM show, or they can hear the Mike Hosking breakfast on ZB. So in the talk news area, there is choice. Why shouldn't it be the same in the music arena or uh, just in a station targeting young, young people with um, talk as well as music? If you're looking at growing younger audiences, even the commercial operators aren't necessarily looking at going out to create more FM radio stations. The reality is most of us are looking at what we can do in the digital space, whether that's podcasting, whether that's streaming services. And we would certainly say that RNZ would look to do something in that space. And you say that the Triple J project is dead. Maybe it is. Our point is, is that we want to make sure that it is and that things like it, that would have been incredibly damaging to our industry, not only don't go ahead, but they're not what are considered in the first place. I mean, I think there was a real, I think, a naivety on a lot of people's part about the amount of impact that would have had on the sector and whether or not it was a good thing to do. But other public broadcasters, you mentioned Triple J, that's a station targeting younger listeners, which has you know, got a lot of music, but other programs too for younger listeners. Um, that's part of the ABC, Australia's public broadcaster. And the, the charter does say uh, cater for all age groups. So if they're not doing that now, why shouldn't younger people have the choice of something provided by a public broadcaster, even if it includes a bit of music which might cut across some of the brands of you know your commercial members? When a proposition like the Triple J one was put forward, Triple J has enormous crossover with the commercial sector in Australia and also isn't just targeted at younger listeners. It has really big audiences with 40 plus and 50 plus because it's got a real heritage of listening. You know, it's a great radio station. And when you look at the UK and the Australian scenario, you have to say the scenario was different because most of those stations were launched before the commercial operators were in the market producing the content they produce. I think fundamentally there is a philosophical discussion that has to be had about whether RNZ wants to reach all New Zealanders, as is sometimes being touted and is probably the one that concerns me the most, or whether it wants to be a great public broadcaster that reaches a lot of New Zealanders, which I don't think we have or should have any problem with. Uh, it says here, RNZ should be serving content and audiences that the market cannot serve as it largely does now. So you'll basically resist, by the sound of it, any attempt for them to broaden out and offer any content, even though, as we know, um, RNZ's audience skews older. Uh, or, or why would you seek to ensure the charter is rewritten to prevent them from reaching out to uh, a younger audience that's part of the public and indeed you know, pays for it in their taxes just like everybody else? I think two things. A, we're not asking for the charter to be rewritten. We actually, I actually think the charter is a good document. I think my concern is where the charter isn't the focus of strategic decisions and growing audience is a greater focus for decision-making, and that's my concern, not the charter. Well, well your chair, sorry to interrupt, but your chair, Cam Wallace, did say he wanted it to be a document that was kind of actively managed, so, you know, could then be held up and say, hang on a minute, you shouldn't be straying into this because, you know, the document says you shouldn't. 
No, I think it was more actually actively managed against the principles that are there now, is the point that Cam was trying to make that day. And no one's talking about not growing, because say if you, I mean, the reality is a lot of the potential for RNZ to grow. And I think RNZ should grow. I think there should be a public broadcaster that does have a future. But if you look at the market, I think there's a lot of content able to be provided in the digital space that RNZ is looking at doing, which I think is great, that will not compete directly with the commercial sector in terms of revenue. Of course, everything competes in terms of time, you know, because people have limited time. So there'll always be crossover in terms of what's available. But even if you look at the FM spectrum, you know, and what's available, FM and AM, over well over 30% of under 30 year olds don't listen to any FM or AM radio. And a lot of those fit into the category that you were talking about. And they're not Pākehā, they are other groups in, um, in New Zealand that I don't believe are well served. And there'd be a huge opportunity for a public broadcaster to look at you know, what would serve that market. But in, in your submission, you also argued that, uh, particularly prompted by that youth radio project or, or the possibility of it, you argued that it would actually breach RNZ's charter obligations and uh, you argued or, and, and told the politicians on that committee reviewing RNZ's charter that uh, it would actually not be in the wider public interest. Why? I think on the first point, you know, one of the key points that is in the charter is taking into account services that are already in the marketplace. And I think that clause is in the charter to provide some degree of, I guess, you know, decision-making that is looking where is the public interest in terms of broadcasting that needs to be provided and what is already provided in the market. And I think I think the principle of what public broadcasting is about is not to replicate what is available already in the commercial market just without commercial. I think it's actually produ about producing a lot more really valuable, often resource-intensive content that can't be provided by the commercial sector. And actually, RNZ and the RBA uh, might be at loggerheads on this issue, but they do collaborate and cooperate on some things, don't they? Even sort of nuts and bolts, things like transmission, but also, uh, you know, now content sharing. So uh, RNZ content can be seen on, you know, the online platforms, for example, of some of your members' websites and so on. I would say we have a great working relationship with Radio New Zealand. I mean, Radio New Zealand may not feel that today on, you know, we do transmission, we've got audience measurement, news and content sharing that you mentioned. Um, we also, one of the most important things that we've worked closely for years with Radio New Zealand with is around civil defence emergency broadcasting, you know, and that's a really important part of the role of all radio stations in New Zealand. Um, but I think, you know, any relationship is allowed to have tensions and we've got to be able to have discussions about the things that we don't see eye to eye on or potentially are problems. This conversation at the moment is against the backdrop of a really challenging time for media in general. Um, and there's also the huge unknown in terms of the government's move towards merging RNZ and TVNZ. So we probably are more sensitive and concerned than we've been in the past. And I guess we're just trying to make sure that Radio New Zealand and the decision makers and governments are aware of our perspective and take note of our point of view. Well, you mentioned tensions there, and they would certainly be aware that you were unhappy about an RNZ ad campaign that ran oh, about 18 months ago now. Some of the politicians might be a bit puzzled as to why you were so uptight about a campaign that's 18 months old and was just pointing out that RNZ exists and is a bit different. The commercial stations that also market heavily on some of those same billboards where those ads would have been appearing. 
Yeah, the irony is the commercial operators don't even attack themselves the way that RNZ chose to attack the commercial market or one, you know, one particular market segment or competitor in general. So I think that's also what everybody found a little bit strange. So it's a little bit like rubbing salt in a very open wound to then go and have taxpayer funds used to try and take audience away from us. So as I said before, I think that some of it is about timing and sensitivity in the market, but I think we would not expect RNZ to actually be actively trying to take audience from its commercial competitors. Well, as you mentioned there, there's a, a kind of wider context to all of this, and this RNZ charter review process that we're talking about now, I mean, it, it may end up being kind of redundant if the government creates this new, bigger public media entity that's currently under consideration. Have you also been consulted over that? And and if so, have you been making the same points that you don't want to see a, a bigger entity that makes life a struggle for your uh, commercial uh, enterprises? Ironically, in our submission um, and in our consultation session, we made it clear that the RNZ Charter is actually a really good starting framework for a charter for this new organisation if it does come together. Yeah, but but is, um, is it really... So, a... Ironically, there is some stuff we can agree on. Sure, but I mean, you say you want this healthy ecosystem, whether it's to be with this new public media entity or if it doesn't happen, the same old RNZ with, uh, you know, a charter rewritten for the next five years. But I mean, your submission to that charter review does include a 10 page lawyer's letter uh, kicked off, prompted by the prospect of a youth radio network cutting across your business as you see it, you know, very strongly arguing that this would be against the charter, a breach of its principles, demanding um, all the internal documents about it. Um, I mean, it's a very strong signal that if they try and broaden their reach to a class of a listener or an age group uh, that they don't currently have a lot of, and you would go legal and prevent them from doing it. Look, I think there's a lot of growth that RNZ could deliver in terms of younger audiences that don't compete as directly as that particular concept did. I think you want to be clear, this wasn't necessarily about a general principle of a youth, you know, of a younger targeted piece of content. It was about a very specific music format. And we have a know that there is a lot of crossover between that format and commercial competitors, whereas there'd be other formats potentially and other content that RNZ could do attracting those audience that would not have the same impact on our industry. And I think, you know, if you look at that, I think they were talking about 250 to 300,000 listeners. And my pick would be at least half of those, based on what I know from Australia, would come from the commercial sector. So there's plenty of ways that Radio New Zealand could grow without taking audience. So that's where our issue lay, was in the specifics around what that format was potentially going to be. And also a matter of principle about how that frequency was about to be used and handed out. Yeah, and I think the reality is, as time's gone on, people also look at if we want to reach younger audiences, we probably need to be doing things on digital platforms, not launching new expensive radio stations on the FM dial. And finally, then, I guess, you know, you you and your members would also be concerned by the possibility of a new and bigger public media entity, the shape of which we don't yet know, but that's the government's plan. Uh, But if if the terms of whatever it's to be, if the terms of the charter that governs how RNZ or the new thing works, if you think they give a green light uh, for public media to be expanded into your territory, are you actually prepared to kind of challenge it or, or go legal because you did uh, engage a lawyer when you didn't like the look of uh, the youth radio uh, proposal that RNZ launched in early 2020? 
It's really hard to say what action anyone would take until you know what is put forward. We would challenge it. Um, But just to be really clear, the challenge isn't about stopping a public media entity growing in terms of audiences. It's about growing at the expense of the commercial sector, which it doesn't need to do. It is entirely possible in 2022 and beyond to have a really healthy media ecosystem with a really healthy, strong and vibrant public media organisation as well that produces content on a range of platforms. New Zealand is a small country. We are a small market, but we could actually work together to do that really well. That was Jaina Ranguni, Chief Executive of the Radio Broadcasters Association, representing the mutual interests of commercial radio companies, arguing for restrictions on RNZ's effort to attract new audiences during the parliamentary inquiry for the RNZ's Charter Review. As we mentioned earlier, the RBA and its members have also been consulted in the drafting of a charter for the new public media entity which the government is now planning. MediaWatch understands that that's nearly complete, though it won't be made public, just like the business case being prepared by consultants to go to Cabinet for consideration soon.